From Migration Media, this is Migratory Patterns. I'm your host, Mike Shaw. There's a kind of truism about living overseas. Once you reach a certain point in a place, especially a place like Beijing that has lots of turnover, you stop expending energy on meeting newcomers. It's not that you're antisocial or anything. It's just that after four to five years, you get sick of watching friends come and go. If you know that you're going to be sticking around for a while, the idea of spending time developing a relationship with someone who could be gone after 12, 24, or even 36 months doesn't seem like a good way to use your emotional resources. So it's pretty unusual that I met this week's guest, Katie Capstick, just after she arrived in Beijing a couple of years ago, and have stayed in touch with her ever since. One of the tricks that Beijing plays on those of us who have been here for more than just a few years is that while there is so much churn, the fact is, it's, you know, Beijing, and it means that many of the people who are drawn here tend to be really smart and really talented, making it hard to not want to get to know them better if you happen to strike up a conversation, which is pretty much how things went down with Katie and I. Like many people who choose to live overseas, Katie never imagined that she'd leave her home in the northwest corner of England until a chance conversation with a Chinese student at university led to an internship with the UN in Beijing. After six months in China, she was hooked, and for the last year and a half, she'd been doing what I call the expat two-step, kind of scrambling to find jobs that would allow her to stay in the country. Now she's got her sights set on following her passion of working for gender equality around the world, but will she do it as an expat or a migrant? Or do we need some new word that doesn't carry the baggage that those other ones do? For me, Katie is one of those people who's young enough, has got the energy and just the positive outlook on life that a newcomer brings to the city that gives it this constant energy that it just never goes away. And I had a great time talking with her. I think you're going to find her perspective and her positivity really infectious. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Katie Capstick. Katie Capstick, welcome to Migratory Patterns. Thank you so much for having me. Where is home? Home for me um, has always been England, the UK, and my small hometown of Wigan. Wigan? Yes. Is that right next to Muck on the Wold? (laughs) It's a small town in between Liverpool and Manchester. A lot of people know it for the football, unsurprisingly. Um, For me, it's always been home because... You know, my childhood's there, I was born there, my family's there, my high school friends are there. But making the big move of moving to China uh, just over two years ago, I've come to redefine home and realize that home is the planet. Like, we should be able to explore the world that we live in. And I never would have dreamed that in my spending my whole life in the northwest of England that I would ever call China home. Living in China, I feel like I could call many places my home. Living in China has inspired me to explore this world we live in. Before I moved here, I was even afraid to move down to London. But now I feel like I could call many places home. It's It's inspired me to want to move around the world and live in other places, learn about other cultures. But I think like deep, deep down, you know, obviously my heart would belong in my my home country, but I feel like there's a there's a wider definition to home for me now. And it's it's the world that we live in. So know? what was fearful about even moving to London? What was fearful to you about mm-hmm. moving outside your home region? Yeah. So well when I was it came down to when I was looking at universities and I was 
I, I wanted to look for a university in the north of England. Like I was even afraid to move just an hour north to Lancaster. And I, I don't know what it was. I think it's just because I'd never really been outside my comfort zone. I was afraid of not being able to manage without being like close to my family. And yeah, even London sounded scary just because it's such a busy city. And I don't understand why I had that fear because looking back, I wish I'd been more adventurous. I, I don't want to say I regret it because I didn't know any better then. But I, I, if I could go back, I would say, let's go and study in London or let's go and study abroad. Let's do a year abroad. Anybody who like was studying and had a year abroad on their university course, I was like, oh, I could never do that. I could never be away from home. And I, I've just totally changed my mindset now. Like, I think the opportunity that brought me to China was an internship that I was incredibly passionate about. It was at UN Women and I'm really passionate about gender equality. And because I was so passionate about it, I was like, I'm willing to move to a place. I've never, I'd never even been to Asia like as a continent before. I'd never even stepped foot in Asia. So I, I just couldn't believe I was doing it. And then the fear kind of went away when it was, if you're passionate about something, you must you must step outside your comfort zone. So here I am spending my whole life in the Northwest of England and I'm moving to China as a 23 year old. I just couldn't believe I was doing it. And obviously even now I still can't believe I'm here, but the fear, the fear has gone away. Now, if I feel like I can live in China, I feel like I can try and live anywhere in the world because I've learned to live outside my comfort zone. I don't know. The fear was maybe experiencing like cultural barriers or something like that but that actually can be quite a beautiful thing because you end up learning how other people in the world work like how they view everyday things how they I don't know like how they work in the workplace so I feel like for me that having that fear and turning it into something positive so that you can learn about the world that we live in what you said was very insightful. Yeah. And I want to just back up a little bit. Where did you go to university? Lancaster. So you did go to Lancaster yeah. University. So you said an opportunity showed up that brought you to China. And this yeah. is the first place you've lived overseas. Yeah. So what kind of program were you in? And what was the opportunity? So so at university, I actually studied media and cultural studies. And there was a lot of gender aspects to the course. And then alongside this, I was involved in the Vagina Monologues, you know, kind of like the famous feminist episodic play by Eve Ensler. And it changed my life. Like, it sounds dramatic, but it changed my life. And I, when I started, when I watched the play and then joined it the next year, people were like, this changed my life. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. And then I was like, wait a minute, it actually changed my life because it it taught me about gender inequality around the world. And that's obviously what I'm passionate about is you know, end in gender inequality. So I was doing that as like a side passion. And, you know, there was other side passions at university, but that just really changed my mindset. And I'd always, like I said, I I studied media and I've always had this thing about maybe being a journalist or a news anchor or something like this, but I just, something just didn't feel right. I I'd studied media also from a critical standpoint and I kind of like lost interest in it. I lost my passion for it. And then I also did my master's, which was also a lot of gender, you know, gender theory and stuff like this in in media. And then I ran for a position at my students' union as a sabbatical officer and I was elected. And we also did lots of campaigns about, you know, like tackling discrimination, 
uh, supporting women in sport. And after that, I was like, I still don't know what I want to do. And then it just suddenly clicked um, that I wanted to, you know, work in international development and gender and development. Uh, and, it, and when my, in fact, it was an old Lancaster, fellow Lancaster student who uh, sent me the opportunity of an internship at UN Women here in Beijing. And it just kind of made sense. And I was like, I can't move to China. And she was like, I moved to the UK. And then she was Chinese. So I was like, why, why not? Why can't it be the other way around? And I was like, oh, maybe I can do that. Like, I just needed someone to tell me that I could do it. Because obviously there's a lot of self-doubt, like, oh, I don't speak Chinese, I can't do this, I can't. and then I just needed someone to say to me, no, you can do it, and there are people here that do it. And then I thought about it for a while, and just I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna apply for it. And then I, I got an interview and got the job, and I was like, this makes sense, like it makes sense to come to China. And you know, originally came here for the internship, but ended up staying for China because, you know, I was meant to only come for three months. Um, oh, yeah, that's when and, I met you as your yeah, was winding exactly, down. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I was only meant to come for three months. Then I extended it to four months. Then I extended it to five months. And then I had to leave because my visa expired. But I wanted to stay in Beijing because of, like, just the opportunities that are here and the people that are here. It was like, you meet people here from all around the world. Like, the most, the smallest countries, the biggest countries, every corner of the earth. And it makes you want to stay because you love to meet new people and like learn about different cultures and different people from different countries. So I came for the internship, but stayed for the the life that Beijing brings you, if that makes sense. It does. And yeah. and I, I try not to do too much of this in the podcast, but I, I do kind of go off on how much I love Beijing and why it's so great. And yeah. one of the things that I love about being here is, you know, I've talked about before, it's a small community of international people relatively speaking that the city is 22 23 mm. million people but yeah. the number of expats is you know under a quarter of a million and and you know even within that the group of non-students is like only 100 150,000 something like that so the wonderful thing is it's it's easy to meet everyone and because Beijing is such a global city and it's an yeah. important global capital the companies the law firms the NGOs the foreign services they send their best people here so you right. meet an incredible class of people. It attracts this wonderful, just diverse group. Everyone who wants to have any kind of impact in the world, and especially in Asia, they have to have some kind of presence in China. And if you have a presence in China, you have to have a presence in Beijing. So right. every major company, every major global enterprise of any sort has a presence in Beijing. So you meet an incredibly diverse group of people, and they're all mm -hmm. really fantastic. Yeah. They're experts in their field. And the, to the opportunities, you know, once you're exposed to that and the opportunities that that kind of germination and churn of people creates, it's very intoxicating and you don't want to give it up. Mm -hmm. yeah. It makes you want to stay. Yeah, exactly. That's, this is why, like, I've been, I've tried to leave so many times. I'm like, I think it's time to go back. And I'm like, oh, but then like you meet someone new, then like there's, you're know, like an event and that you're, oh, I just, you become like addicted to staying here almost like I've, yeah like I said I was meant to I was meant to technically leave in well actually two years exactly two years ago my internship was supposed to end exactly two years ago and here I still am and I've always wanted I'm like I'll say I'll leave next year but then I probably won't because I end up staying more I'll meet more people end up wanting to stay learning about new businesses new initiatives so 
It's, but I also don't think you should put too much pressure on yourself. Like if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. So Well, we were yeah. talking before we got on the microphone and you had said you actually do have a plan mm-hmm. to leave next year. Yeah. But it's kind of like a like almost a reset or a or a, yeah. you know, a reprofessionalize or something. Yeah, we'll exactly. Talk, we'll talk about that, what your plan is. Yeah, so I do plan to do a master's that's more tailored towards like what I want to do. So kind of like gender and law or gender and development. But like, so that's my plan. Like I plan to leave, but like I said, like I plan to come for three months and I ended up saying, I'm going to end up saying for three years. So I'm giving myself that plan. And then if it falls into place, it falls into place. I hope it does because I do, I do love Beijing. I do love China, but I also see that there's a whole other world out there that I would like to explore. And I feel like, you know, you can you can travel to different countries, but actually living there is like a whole other experience. So I do want to, yeah, I want to live in other places in the world. And The thing about your journey, which is really interesting, yeah. is that you started out as a small town girl, didn't yes. want to leave Northwest England, right? right? <laughs> which is not a dig, it's just who yeah. you were, right? It's hugely, yeah. And definitely. then... And, you know, your exposure to another way of thinking, an international student that you met said, showed you the opportunity that could be living overseas somewhere. You took at it, you took it. And now you have this mentality yeah. is that you want to see, you, you don't, you do not want to see the rest of the world. You want to experience and live in and try to make a change in the world. Yeah, exactly. So th- can you talk a little bit about how that mental evolution and how you see your life going forward like what what do you see as your career path maybe not in detail because you know you're still thinking about mm-hmm. it but what kind of a uh, way do you see yourself living and just kind of executing your path for your career going forward yeah I feel like the moment the moment it really started to change was when my my old classmate who's Chinese said to me you if I like if I can come to the UK you can come to China like we like you know, like she changed my, I, I didn't see myself going beyond the UK border. Like I was even, wasn't even like thinking about moving to Europe, moving across Europe. And for someone to say, you can come to China, that it was just never something that I'd thought about before. Like she changed. I always say to her, I'm like, you changed my life when you, when you, when you sent me that Facebook message like just over almost three years ago saying like you you know you can do this opportunity and you know she's like no it's all you like you planted the seed though like and I must always be thankful for her for that you know I I just kind of rolled with it and I just yeah it's also when you're in Beijing you meet people who've who've lived in other places as well and you're like you start becoming like jealous and you're like oh I wish I'd done that I mean I am still only young but it's, I, I kind of see myself from now on, um, obviously like in, in the line of work that I want to do is going to be very tough because it's like gen, like tackling gender inequality and, and, and working on development issues. So I kind of see myself. That could take you to some rough corners of the world. Yeah, exactly. And like people say, if you want to work in this kind of industry, you, you should, you, you should be willing to, to go to places that maybe, it's going to be tough and I'm willing to do that because like I said originally it was like I'm willing to move to China if I want to you know pursue my passion and I'm willing to even take it to the next level even if it means going somewhere that's even more outside my comfort zone than what China would bring me to so I kind of see myself um 
I definitely want to go back to the UK and get some more concrete education and, and, and like practical skills on how to deal with these issues around the world. And that I'm just kind of willing to literally go anywhere, like whether it be, I'm really interested in Latin America. I'm really interested in issues in Africa. I'm also Asia. And there's also different like regional problems that, that we can see. So I feel like I'm willing to go anywhere pretty much. And I feel like whatever, wherever that might be, I feel like it's kind of meant to be like it was with China. So I, I could see myself anywhere, basically. I guess it would all be a matter of someone saying, here's the opportunity and just taking it. So what are some of the issues mm-hmm. that you see out there that you're addressing? So, I mean, I feel like every country has gender inequality, but you can put it on a Not spectrum. my country. In America, we're oh, perfect. Oh, yeah. America's perfect, honestly. <laughs> um, I feel like there's a you can put things on a spectrum. And I just see... You know, I see that there's a lot of violence against women in this world, in some countries more than others, in the way that it's tackled. And like, I'm really interested in like laws around violence against women. Like the whole gender inequality problem, like there's so many issues, like whether it be economic rights, political participation, reproductive rights, but somewhere along the, the line you have to start specializing something because that's just how the how how it works like you have to be specialist in something it's also tough so, to 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 form a movement on broad general things you got you got to pick exactly. certain things that are that speak to the bigger issues right exactly so i'm particularly in, and obviously whilst i was um a volunteer in the vagina monologues at university this it addressed a lot of violence whether it be conflict uh, uh, sort of like violence against women during conflict, uh, whether it be sexual violence, and you know anything, anything like that. It, it was it just kind of made sense to use that fo- to go with that focus area. So I think to narrow it down, I would want to work in tackling violence against women. I feel like it's always been my main main concern. And then it's also what violence and where. So, and then in what country and then in what particular area of that country. So you have to be, there's so many nuances involved. So it's, I'm and still trying violence to find domestic violence. You exactly. Know, what, yeah. And it's like, different, like femicide, like FGM. There's so many different types of violence and you, you learn new things every day. I didn't even realize that happened in the world. And learn, so you can learn about the issues. And then I, fe- I feel powerless because I'm like, but how do I actually tackle the issue? I know what the issue is, but how do I tackle the issue or attempt to tackle or mitigate the issue? So that I, I'm still kind of figuring out particularly what area of that, this kind of gender inequality issue that I want to focus on, but at least I've narrowed it down to that. And this is why I'm really interested in going back to the UK and studying um, gender conflict and human rights. I think that that's going to put me in a very good position to understand how to tackle the issues that I'm passionate about. So a lot of this stuff and the way that you've thought about it and kind of the the perspective that you have uh, feels like it's very much focused on the developing world. Mm -hmm. And that is not to say that you know, we don't have our problems in the West, but is exactly. it that you, is it that you yeah. feel like you can have a bigger impact? Do you feel a more pressing need in the developing world mm-hmm. or think, talk, talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's, it's really complicated. And I'll, like when I kind of look online and look at debates and people really like to draw the line between 
the West or like the global North and the global South or the West and the East or the developed world or the developing world. And it's really not so black and white. Like, like I said, it's more of a spectrum. So like there's the World Economic Forum does a, a, a an annual ranking of countries to how gender equal they are. And they cover like everything. It's really broad. And it's interesting, like you, you expect some countries to be higher and some to be lower. And it, it just depends on the characteristics of the country. So for me, it's more of like a spectrum. But you can see that certain countries have more pressing issues. In a, like, for example, in Latin America, like you don't, you don't want to generalize again because femicide is a problem all around the world. But Latin America gets the bad reputation for femicide, although we know that it happens in other places around the world, it even happens in my home country. But it's just like the the levels and you have to look at statistics. So I feel like there's some countries that have more that have more needs. But at the same time, I feel like for me, like as a like as a British national, I feel like I also can have more influence in a way in my home country because I am British. So I, I have like more like political power because I could technically get involved in politics and change things like because I'm a British national. So and you you just have more more freedoms to do so as like a, like a national of that country. But at the same time, there's more there's more there's I see more issues in other places in the world. So it's 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 like a con. I feel like there's just so many more nuances and it's not black and white of how to address it. But I like to wherever I can have an influence, like I will try to have one. But sometimes there are limitations. Like you can't just turn up at any country and be like, right you do everything wrong we need to change it you need to it's, it's more like you have to be more diplomatic about it so I think it's going to be challenging to to learn about what you can change and what you can't and obviously not being a national of a certain country you know like it's it's very sensitive so yeah I think it's gonna I think it's gonna teach me a lot when when I do come to properly start working in the industry so when I hear you talk about this mm-hmm. I think a lot about global migration right. and the idea that you know we don't want to say people are moving from the global south to the global north or from the east to the west i mean it is really all over the place but right. in exactly. general yeah. in general people are moving from less developed countries to more developed countries mm-hmm. you know that the un last year their report said that the percentage of the population in first tier economic countries that are migrants international migrants mm-hmm. of any sort rose from 9% to 14%. So there is a general trend, yeah. right? So there is something that is concerning if you're in those developed countries, and a lot of that is expressed through xenophobia and the rise of nationalism. This isn't just gender specific. There's a lot of issues. But one of the things that people who get scared or have a reaction to the idea of migration is Mm -hmm. that people coming from outside of our culture, and there's a whole spectrum of issues about, quote, what culture is and stuff. But, but one of the things, and I know this is a lot in Europe, is the impact on, you know, of people coming from a culture where women's rights aren't as recognized Mm -hmm. or aren't as ingrained in the culture. Yes. So one yeah. of the things that I hear when I when you're saying all this to me is, you know, work is needed in how we better spread the idea of women's equality. Not yeah. that it's perfect and we have it in the West, you know, exactly. in developed countries, but yeah. we need to, con- you know, as as much as we need to continue its growth and development in, in the developed countries, it needs to also start getting into these other countries where people are coming from because – 
as long as you have such huge cultural disparities in the way people do things that are fundamental, like giving half of your population access to economic independence or Mm -hmm. incorporating them in your economy, as long as people are coming from countries where that doesn't, that isn't the norm, then you're going to have more and more conflict when that migration happens. Mm -hmm. So something like what you're doing sounds like a way to maybe level set everyone. And you can also make arguments about, well, just because it's part of your culture doesn't mean it's, quote, right. There are certain, like, femicide and, you know, uh, FGM is not right. Yeah. You can make some basic blanket Mm -hmm. statements. So I hear about what you're doing, and I feel like it's super important. And it's not so much quoting, spreading, quote, Western values. It's really about human rights. Yeah. It's about the evolution of human rights. It should be, like, global values rather than than just – yeah, and a lot, a lot. Oh, I get really frustrated sometimes back home in the UK because people like like to point fingers at certain countries, and like I said, there's a spectrum. But you can't you can't just point fingers at a certain country when no no country's perfect. Like like obviously you can we rank like the UK ranks higher than other countries. But I just I hear I hear some people in the UK saying like oh, stop complaining about issues in the UK. Just be thankful that you're not a Saudi woman. And I'm like, that's, that's, it's unfair because it's like, you can care about two, two countries' issues at the same time. Okay, we can see that there's problems in Saudi Arabia, but it's, it's not fair to just point your finger at a certain country like, oh, just, just be thankful that you're not like them. And I'm like, but I can still care about issues in Saudi Arabia and also issues in the UK, especially when I have more influence in the UK, like I said before, because I am British. We can't just ignore our own problems because there's problems elsewhere. And I think it's a matter of also acknowledging that there are, there are issues in the UK when it comes to even femicide, like even obviously, like I said before, other countries get a bad rep for it. But uh, the statistic is that two women every single week die, like are murdered by a a male spouse or or family member and people just don't seem to acknowledge like some people do but a lot of people don't want to acknowledge that that would happen in their country that they think is so not perfect but kind of I don't know a model of women's rights when it's you know what I mean like there's more there's more nuances involved so I think that it's we should hold all countries accountable and say that, okay, you need, you need to work on this. You need to work on that. But we should never just be like, oh, just, just forget about any problems here. Just, just focus on this instead. Or, you know, you can care about all countries and how, how, how much progress they've made in terms of gender equality. So I think that nobody should be immune from being held accountable in that regard. Well, so that's that's the work you're you're passionate about, and you're interested mm-hmm. in. So you mentioned that you got here, and you know that the internship brought you here, but you've kind of kept extending your stay, extending your stay. Yeah. So that's kind of like the trap that migrants kind of fall into. Yeah. I don't want to say trap; it's it's like the the seductive, the sirens yeah. call. You know, yeah. you get to a place and you find, hey, I I like living overseas. I got to figure out and make this happen. In China, what has happened traditionally? It's in Beijing, it's become much harder. But I, I remember when I first got here, the traditional path was, if you didn't have a job that brought you here, you had a job that brought you here. If you didn't have a job that brought you here, you would just come over, 
find a job teaching English somewhere mm-hmm. and then hang out until you found something because once you're here, you could find something because yeah. the community is so small. Uh, what was your process? Like you got here and I remember when we first met, you were kind of scrambling looking for something because you mm-hmm. were trying to find a way to stay. Yes. What was, exactly. so, so how did you end up staying? So like I said, my visa expired, so I did actually have to go home, but I'd been offered a job just before I left. So, and again, through connections within the expat community, like whether it be Jing Jobs or just WeChat, we I can't believe how amazing WeChat is. With, with, with it, it's gotten me like all my jobs because it's just like here's a person, talk to them, send your CV. It's amazing. So I guess it was through that kind of yeah, just kind of through social media that I was uh, put in contact with someone who put in contact with someone else and then I got a job interview and then yeah I did the whole had to go home get my all my documents ready came back and then uh, I worked there for a bit at this company that um, did some projects on women's economic empowerment then I came across an NGO that um, works with um, women who've been trafficked and it's a social enterprise it's an amazing organization Uh, but obviously I need to and money. So that's when I was, when I came across the, um, the job with the People's Daily, it made sense. So I, yeah. The People's Daily there. is the official government mouthpiece. Yes. Yeah. So it was the Global Times under the People's Daily. Worked with them whilst, um, volunteering with the NGO. And then recently I've just moved to the other, um, state owned media, Xinhua. Yeah. That's currently where I'm at. So it's kind of like, I'm surprised I've already had four jobs whilst being. <laughs> In in Beijing, yeah. Well, the reason I asked you kind of, I usually don't ask people for their CVs, yeah. but the, what's interesting, <laughs> your story kind of illuminates is mm-hmm. this kind of do-it-yourself path. Like the term expat technically just means expatriate. It's just someone who right. lives outside their country. Right. But there's all this stuff that is wrapped up in this term expat where it's, you know, when yeah. I when I first moved here, it was specifically a person who had a package they were brought here by a company they had a housing allowance or you know a school allowance or they had travel benefits you know whatever it was someone got hazard pay when the 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 air was really bad here wow oh yeah (laughs) never heard of hazard pay before yeah well the air in the last few years has Mm -hmm. has cleaned up a lot and i remember when it was bad when when days of 500 or higher were pretty regular yeah companies had to start paying people hazard pay two years ago was was my first winter and it was really high then yeah. Actually, two years ago, I remember yeah. thinking, this is not so bad. Yeah. And for me, I was like, this is so bad because it was only my first winter. And then people were like, it was like a thousand AQI every single day last year. This oh, is yeah. nothing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah. but that was the old days. And those I, those days of the full, full packages are on the decline. And there's some irony in me talking about that because I may be mm-hmm. going on to that pretty soon. Yeah. But most people who come overseas to live overseas, they're doing it on their own. And they're kind of following this path that's very similar to yours, where they go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's for a job opportunity, or maybe it's for they just want to live overseas. Like the way I did it, it was I knew I just want to live in China. I didn't know why, but <laughs> I just decided I wanted to live in China. And when I got here, I figured it out. And we didn't have social media in China in any way that you do like now. There was no WeChat, but I was on an email list, and I found a job. 
someone just posted on an email list that, mm-hmm. you know, this, this group email list, Hey, there's a job that's opening. I'm leaving town. And, and, uh, by the way, my girlfriend, her job is opening too. And if everyone wants it, here's the contact wow. information. Yeah. And that's how I got my job. And I've been there for 10 years. So <laughs> it deglamorizes and demystifies this idea of what an expat is. We're yeah. not all highfalutin professionals who mm-hmm. come over on packages for two year rotations. Some of us are out just here plugging away and trying to make it work. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And most of the people that I kind of hang out with or socialize with, they're the same boat. Like you Mm -hmm. say expat and you think about that in your home country, that has Mm -hmm. this connotation and we don't relate to that. Yeah. This is an interesting, like I'd never thought of that, like distinguishing between a migrant and an expat in that way before. And it's really interesting now you said that because before, like I've, I've been, there's been a few articles that have been shared lately about the connotations of the word expert and the connotation of the word migrant. And obviously the word migrant has negative connotations for some reason, but expert has positive connotations. And like, how do we distinguish the difference? And a lot, some people have been arguing lately is that when you, when there's like maybe Europeans or people in the West immigrate, they're considered expats. But when people from the, like maybe the global South or the East immigrate they're not considered expats and it's like why 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 is there a difference so for me I've always seen it as kind of there's a lot of like racialization going on here and I think that it would be unfair to call one group of people expats and one group of people migrants when we're essentially doing the same thing we're just moving in different directions I've pontificated a few times on this and I'll do it again a little bit I identify Mm -hmm. more with the people walking to the U.S. to cross the border than I do with someone who comes over on an expat package. Mm. Um, I even see, I even use the word there. It's an expat package, right? Yeah. That's, that's how ingrained the idea yeah. is in my brain. You know, I identify more with those people because their idea is I need to go to this other place where I can have better opportunity for myself and my children. That's why I moved. I moved to a different country because there was yeah. a better economic exactly. opportunity. There was a better career opportunity. And even though I didn't know specifically what it was, I knew that in that other place, in this other place I could go to, I would have more. I yeah. could have more. And it's been true. I a lo- Some of it was timing. You know, when I moved, it was just before the stock market crash in 2008. Like I came just oh, before the Olympics. Yeah. And it turned out when I left or after I left – the company I'd worked for laid off a whole bunch of people. Yeah. Most, most of the people I knew in that company lost their jobs and it was really hard, you know, in the U S and here I was over here sitting pretty where there was no, I mean, there was a little bit of a slowdown, but the economy didn't stop churning. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was great times over here. Yeah. And it was, it was very sobering or it was a long process where I came to understand that I, I called myself an expat a long time and I think Mm -hmm. it's, it's a verbal tick almost. It's like a habit I'm trying to figure out how to get out of. Because if I say I'm a migrant to someone, even someone in our situation, it, it still has this, even though we, even though if you break it down and talk about it, we would identify with the word migrant. Yeah. If you say it, people still recoil. Yeah. It's, and I don't want to refuse that word. I don't know what it is. Because that's exactly what I did. I, Obviously, originally came for an internship, but I stayed because I saw there were so many opportunities and better paid jobs. So it's like, well, why is it any different from an EU national coming to the UK to find better opportunities? Like, why, why, 
why is there a different narrative xenophobia around who 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 moves where and who gets to be called an expat and who gets to be called a migrant? It's like it's just something I, I would never like ev- even just looking on my WeChat on my WeChat and the types of groups that I'm in, like female expats in, in Beijing. Would we ever say female migrants in Beijing? What what if what if someone changed the group name to that one day and just thought, but we're migrants? Like I just really would it would be so interesting as to how people would react to that. How would how would they how would they feel about calling themselves a migrant? It's just something that I've never I'd never really thought about before until we had that conversation just now. It's yeah. It's, or what if, if what if we yeah. said all of those people coming from Africa and from the Middle East filtering up into Europe? What if we We're called them expats? expats? Yeah, yeah. It's amazing how language and the connotations. It's almost irreversible. It's like you can't. Can you ever shake off the negative connotations of the word migrant? The UN mm-hmm. does something interesting. They they put out their annual biannual report. Mm-hmm. They count up. They estimate because actually a lot of countries don't count the number of people of their citizens who are living overseas. There are very few countries that do it. And they use the term international migrant. Like they just call, it doesn't matter if you're a refugee, doesn't matter if you're an economic migrant, doesn't matter if you're a quote expat, doesn't matter what your race is, your gender. They just call everyone international migrants. And the only thing they will kind of break out of that is they will say a certain portion are refugees because that's a legal definition. Yeah. But other than that, and, and they still call them international migrants, but other than that distinction, they will loop everyone, they will lump everyone together. Right. Which That's I a, really like. Yeah. But international migrants like is that. a lot of syllables. Yeah. And we're pretty lazy. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. We don't want to say that, all that. <laughs> so yeah. we need a new word. Yeah. I don't know what the word can be. I think there needs to be a new word that has positive connotations that can be... That everyone that that refers to everybody. Yeah, yeah. And that's interesting. Oh, you know, it's so fascinating. Mm. You just said about that. Just made me think. We need a word that has positive connotations. I don't know that people want to put positive connotation mm. on the idea of leaving your home to go someplace else. Yeah, I don't, some people don't see that as a positive thing, or see it see people coming into their country is a positive thing, or people leaving their country or to go somewhere. People leaving. Yeah. yeah. Either way. I mean, yeah. I, I've I've I know that. Certain people in my life have actually said, I don't want to hear about what you're doing. Mm. They've said it point blank like that. Yeah. Which is, it was very shocking and kind of heartbreaking, but people don't want to hear it. Yeah. A lot of people say to me, like, why, why are you in China? Like people back home, why? I don't understand. Come home. Come and quote home. Come yeah. home. What's yeah. home? Yeah, exactly. There we go. There go. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, when they say, why are you in China? I'm like, why are you not in China? <laughs> That's like, what I say. I'm like, you. I'm like, the, the industry that you're in, you have so many opportunities over here. Why not try it for a year? Like, see the world. But, I remember I had yeah. a lot of friends who were architects in my circle. I mean, I still consider them friends, but mm-hmm. they were in my very close circle. And I remember after the crash, I was working and the construction was going crazy. And the government put a kibosh on this a couple of years ago, but they... Cities all across China were paying insane amounts of money to architects from the West to come in and build these amazing buildings. And, wow. and you know, any developer who was developing property, they wanted Western architects to come in. I knew a bunch of people, a bunch of my friends were architects from Europe and actually, quote, developing countries yeah. coming here to get jobs at architecture firms because all the firms needed to have a white face at the firm. So they mm-hmm. were hiring, if you had an, if you were an architect and you came to China, you can get a job faster than if you were a teacher. Yeah. And they were really good paying jobs. 
And I had a lot of friends who were architects and the market just crashed. And I was like telling them all, you guys need to come here. Like yeah. just do it for a year or two. Like just make a bunch of money and go home. Yeah. Quote home, right? This is yeah. before I understood, you know, I made the kind of connection between home, but you know, they didn't do it. But one of the, one of my friends, he, works for a super famous, like world famous top five global architecture firm mm-hmm. that's based in Boston. And I probably just gave it away with that, but mm-hmm. the, co- the company actually put him in charge of this huge project they had in China. So he ended up having to come over a lot anyway. We actually met once or twice when he visited Beijing. He actually wasn't in Beijing doing the project, but he would have to come and kind of oversee it for like a week at a time, a couple times a year. And he would fly into Beijing and then have to drive, you know, several hours after the thing. But you know, I feel the same way with teachers. Like, I can't imagine why teachers stay in the U.S. I know. Yeah. Like, if you're not at an elite school and you're making really good money, like, why are you not overseas? Like, yeah. really. So the idea that people have this wall that they can't kind of get over mentally about moving yeah. away from home, it's going to be really hard to create this word that it's positive, that can be positive, that encompasses everyone. Yeah. But we, we need to do it. It's almost like before, like I, I was, I was like, I must stay in the UK board. I cannot get a job outside here. I kind of, I'd also put up my own wall. I can't. And oh, that's so like, interesting. You use the word I can't. Yeah. Like you don't even consider the possibility. Yeah. Like I can't. Like it was like, it was not even, it was not even a, like it didn't even come up as an option because it was like, it was all, it was just can't, it didn't even need to think about it. It's unconscious It's that it's this wall around. And I'm like, just having that experience of living abroad can just change. I mean, obviously it changes your life, but it like changes the way you view just the world, like everything, like every, like what jobs you can get, where you can live, where it's, where other, where other expats go, go yeah. live. Like, cause I didn't know before I moved to China, I didn't know there was, I was I was a little bit ignorant about China before. I thought I didn't realize how much it opened up to the world. I thought because I, I just thought it was only going to be me and diplomats that were going to be here. And then I was like, hang on a minute. There's teachers. There's students. There's business people. This whole almost like it's like what what's the statistic? Two hundred million people are outside their home countries. Yeah, two hundred fifty-seven million as of last year. Million, and some of them are here. So we're like our own little. Our own little. If we were a country, country, if yeah. we were a country, we would be the fifth biggest country in the world. Yeah. yeah. And we don't. We're not anchored to any place. Yeah. Which is a completely new concept to humanity. Yeah. It's, you know, we've always we've always migrated, but mm-hmm. we've never kind of had this. At least not in the modern age, we've never had this huge proportion, and it's the ease of the ease of access in quotation marks to mm-hmm. that experience has never been has never been easier. I mean, you can. You could fly around the world for pretty cheap now. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the tickets to go from China to the U.S. or from anywhere in Asia, to any major Asian city to the U.S., it's you know five six hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. You know, tickets to China. I mean, you could get tickets now for under four hundred dollars if they're on sale to go from yeah. China to the U.S. I mean, that's insane. Yeah, you know, you can. There are tickets in the, in America, regular tickets, routes that cost more than it costs to go to Asia. Yeah, so. The fact that more and more people can do it and that more and more people are doing it, it really puts an imperative on us, I feel like, mm-hmm. to interface with everyone we know in a way that – like one one aspect of the way you're doing it is you're thinking about 
spreading gender equality and the idea of gender equality, mm-hmm. you know, and, and promoting it. But we also have to think about it in terms of just normalizing the idea that you can migrate. Yes. That migration is a reality. Yeah. And, exactly. and if we normalize it, yeah. we take away the negative connotations because it's not special, mm-hmm. you know, and how do we do that? Yeah. And I also think like... I'm asking you, give me the yeah, answer. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And norm- normalizing like which countries you can find these opportunities in because look, just looking at some of my friends back in the UK and where they have lived abroad, like there are people that do live abroad, but they only pick certain countries. It's usually like Australia... New Zealand, maybe America. Oh, Commonwealth. They're all white and they speak English. That's (laughs) that's overseas. Yeah. So I think that it's, again, like encouraging people to maybe go outside of their comfort zone. Like it would be very easy. I want to say very easy because it's obviously, it is hard to live away from home, you Mm -hmm. know, quote unquote home. Where you come from. (laughs) Yeah. Where you, where you were born. Yeah. And, or well depends there's, there's always more complicated than you would ever think but yeah if people have lived in the UK their whole life and they move to Australia I think that it would be easier for them than for, than I than me moving to China just because of like maybe the language barriers and just like such different cultures but the reason why I feel like I want to be in China rather than I mean I'd love to be able to live in like loads of places around the world but I feel like it was China that gave me the opportunity to really learn about just just a completely different culture like to really really go outside my comfort zone and pick up a language that I never thought I would ever have the opportunity to speak when you said that about people in the UK it's easier for them to go to a place like Australia New Zealand and I blithely said Commonwealth countries we're all (laughs) white and they speak English yeah some of the Commonwealth countries aren't all white and they don't all speak English but yeah I had this experience I went to the London Olympics and I didn't stay in the city I stayed at a house that was you know, 50 minutes on the rail line mm-hmm. in the Southwest. So pretty far outside. And I realized, I mean, I knew this just because I'm a born New Englander, New England. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. I, and I, and you're taught this and it's just part of the landscape. But I realized when I was staying in this village, basically an old village and, you know, we're walking through the town, the town center. I was like, Oh my God, this is New England. And then I realized, no, 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 New England is this. <laughs> this, is, this is literally what New England is. Yeah. The British col- you know, the British colonists came over mm-hmm. and they replicated their home in this new land after they yeah. murdered all the indigenous people. <laughs> right. But, but they, they, they built these towns that are modeled on the towns in, uh, they're modeled on these towns in England. And that's, you know, makes total sense. And I, and, and then I had a relative who went and lived in London for a year. I think it was a year. It was a semester as, uh, you know, as a foreign exchange. And I actually, it's, I'm kind of ashamed of this, but I really thought that's not overseas. Instead <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> of comparing the experience, yeah. like, like, oh, that's just, it's like living in Boston. You know? Yeah. Like, that's not different. But of course it is. I mean, there's cultural differences, you know, people who, yeah. people who come from the U.S. and move to Canada, it is different. Even if it's not Quebec, you know, yeah. it's, it's different. Yeah. So I, you know, again, we need something that, we need something that speaks to everyone's experience. We need a word that speaks to everyone's experience, whether mm-hmm. it is going from the developed world to the developed, going from the developed to the undeveloped, going from first tier to second tier, going from east to west, north to south, whatever it is. We need a word that 
encompasses everyone. Right. And it can't be some bureaucratic UN nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe you, in your work, can help us figure it out. Yeah. Well, I look forward to hearing what you come up with in the future. Yeah, that's going to be my new goal, to create a word that is like migrant, but with positive connotations. You know what you could do? I obviously can't be led in the group, but you get in that female expat WeChat group and actually bring that up and see if people can start figuring out some words. Wow. And you can report back. Really You're like a spy. Interesting. Yeah. I'd also like, I'm also in a Brits in, a Brits, uh, in China group as well. So it'd be interesting to ask because it's a really quickly moving group. They discuss anything and everything. So this would be a really good, really good question to pitch. To yeah. Them, definitely. Share this conversation with them and let, yeah. report back. Yes, definitely. 100%. Well, yeah. thanks for coming on. I look forward to hearing your reports. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's a really interesting discussion. Well, there you have it. Another great conversation in the books. I never get tired of talking about that difference between expats and migrants. I'm really looking forward to more conversations about that. If any of you out there have suggestions on words we can use to describe people who live overseas, do you prefer expat? Do you prefer migrant? What are your feelings? Reach out and let me know. I'm on Twitter at ZAX2000. You can also reach out by email at migratorypatterns at migrationmedia.net. If you're listening to us on an Apple podcast, please don't forget to give us a like and a review. It really helps us out. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here next week. Music